Welcome to the Good Dog Pod. Join us every other Wednesday when we discuss all things dogs, from health and veterinary care to training and behavior science, as well as the ins and outs of Good Dog and how our platform can help you successfully run your breeding program. Follow us and join Good Dog's mission to build a better world for our dogs and the people who love them. Thank you all for coming today and taking the time to join us for this presentation, Food, Friend or Foe, Using Diet to Your Advantage, with our guest, Dr. Jason Gagne, who has joined us for a few webinars in the past, and he is a board-certified veterinary nutritionist at Purina. We really presented this and decided to come up with this topic today because of feedback from members of our community. You want to hear more about canine nutrition, especially food allergies, so that was kind of the reasoning behind this presentation today. During the Q&A segment of this presentation, we're going to be prioritizing the previously submitted questions from our community first. When we announced this about a week ago, we received some really great questions from all of you, so we're going to be prioritizing answering those at the end of this. And before I kick things off, I just want to share a little bit more information about Good Dog for anyone who is joining us that might not be familiar with who we are and what we do. Good Dog is on a mission to build a better world for our dogs and the people who love them by advocating for dog breeders, educating the public, and promoting canine health and responsible dog ownership. We are a secure online community created just for dog breeders, and we are completely free for dog breeders as well. We use the power of technology to help good breeders really level up their breeding programs by providing them with tools like our secure payment system to protect them from scams, software to post your available litters and connect with really amazing good dog applicants to find great homes for your pups. And we also offer additional breeder business resources like webinars about navigating taxes as they relate to dog breeders. That's been a very popular one, search engine optimization and much more. So if you are not yet a member of our community, we would absolutely love to have you join us and we invite you to learn more at gooddog.com slash join. And with all of that, I will pass things off to Dr. Gagne and then get the presentation started. Since it is problematic for owners doing the home-cooked diet, this has given rise to years ago, pet food companies coming out with commercial novel protein diets, the lamb diet, the fish diet, etc. As time has gone on, so many companies have created their own lamb diet, let's say, and lamb is no longer novel. So it's difficult to find a true novel protein. And who's to say that the dog doesn't become allergic to that new protein? That can and does happen, actually. As we look at the homemade diet, the way that that's made up usually is a novel protein. You know, you take your dietary history. Okay, my dog hasn't eaten venison. So we make up a venison diet. And we put in there a protein to carb ratio, usually of two to one or maybe one to one. Add in a vegetable oil like a soybean oil to get the essential fatty acids for the skin and coat. Maybe balance that out with fish oil and a few other ingredients. The advantage to the homemade diet, if the owner is for it, and they usually are gung-ho at first, we know what we're putting into the diet. We're avoiding the preservatives and the additives. And some owners really want to be part of the therapeutic plan. It's actually really rewarding for me as a nutritionist to work with owners doing this and getting the feedback as we go along the way and adding ingredient in week by week by week. And I keep in touch with them as we go along. The disadvantage to this, though, is that 
while they are gung-ho at first, and we do talk about how laborious and tedious it can be, or you're dedicating a Sunday to it every week, once they start doing it, they truly understand it at that point. So it is a major increased effort. Again, if you're doing it on your own and not consulting with the right person, it could be incomplete and unbalanced. And are we really choosing something that's truly novel? You know, it has a complete dietary history been taken. For the sake of time, I'm going to move on from the stats there. The proposed novel protein diets, though, did kind of come along well into the 70s and 80s and really placed a stake in the ground to say, hey, you know what? We can make a therapeutic diet here with manufacturing environment, has clean conveyors, and has standard operating procedures in a manufacturing environment to ensure that we're not cross-contaminating proteins. Smaller companies that aren't therapeutics aren't necessarily doing that. So when you're looking at something over the counter and you're seeing that it says venison and potato, let's say, I don't know, 99 times out of 100, yes, it's venison and potato, but there's been studies out there showing that there are other proteins in there. They're not necessarily cleaning the lines and conveyors like the therapeutic diets do. That is an issue, and that's caused a lot of proteins to be scratched off the list as novel. So again, there's some disadvantages here. Is it truly novel? But again, for the sake of time, moving on here, where we would place these two diets in regards to our elimination diet options that we mentioned before of the categories of the non-antigenic, complete, balanced, palatable, and convenient, you could see where... I have the pluses and minuses. Maybe they are, maybe they're not non-antigenic. Complete and balancing, maybe, maybe not with homemade diets. Homemade diets, though, certainly are not convenient. So this has given rise to saying, could we make a different type of diet? And this is where hydrolyzed protein diets have come into play. What that is, is basically taking those intact proteins that we talked about before, those green squiggly lines on the left, and breaking them into smaller pieces so that when they do bind to that IgE antibody on that mast cell, they don't cross-link. You cut them up, this big pair of protein, into smaller and smaller and smaller pieces. So that basically the gist is you're flying under the radar of the immune system. You get the same nutritional benefits, but you don't get the immune reaction. There have been studies actually showing that soy and purified cornstarch have been very successful here and fed to known dogs years ago that were known soy allergic, known corn allergic dogs, where they did an allergen-free diet, so totally make-believe diet, but it's allergen-free, an allergen-plus diet as a positive control. And then back when Purina HA was being developed, fed Purina HA, the results here were when you're fed the allergen diet, yeah, there's an increase in their level of itchiness here on this scale. When they were fed without allergen, they dropped way down. But when they were fed the hydrolyzed diet, they dropped by 50% for the soy allergic dogs and 80% for the corn allergic dogs, which was fascinating. This was followed by other studies with hydrolyzed diets showing the efficacy of them. This was an interesting study where dogs were either fed what's considered an intestinal diet versus dogs fed a hydrolyzed protein diet. And they followed these dogs out for three years. It was a two to three month recheck a six to 12 months recheck and a three year recheck. That's interesting to follow a dog out for three years. And what they noticed here was on that first recheck of two to three months, these dogs on the intestinal or control diet, 75% complete control, 12.5% partial. Then the hydrolyzed protein diet, similar results. You're talking around 88, almost 90% covered. But as you get out to the second recheck, 
only 28% were covered on the control diet, whereas all 100% were covered on the hydrolyzed diet. And then as you get out to the three-year mark, still all 100% are covered by the hydrolyzed diet and only 12 by the control diet. So hydrolyzed diets gained quite a bit of popularity. They still are the mainstay if you're going to be feeding a therapeutic diet for food allergies. This was a study by Stan Marks at UC Davis back in the day that looked at dogs with IBD, so having those vomiting and diarrhea signs, and showing the improvement over time in their fecal score. So there were these six dogs that started out with a fecal score where they were all firmed up to, this was a scale of 0 to 100, 0 being watery, 100 being firm. And you can see they all firmed up to 100 by feeding that Purina HA diet. This dog up here, you're not going to notice it because he was a vomiter, but his vomiting improved, so he went from 100 to 100. This dog here was actually what's known as an exocrine pancreatic insufficiency German Shepherd, EPI dog, that actually did firm up quite well on a hydrolyzed diet alone. That's fascinating just for diet alone. Regardless, HA diet, hydrolyzed protein diet, complete and balanced. Moving on, though, if I was to, say, plug this hydrolyzed protein category into the rubric that we talked about earlier, I still have the possibility that this could be antigenic. And that is because as you hydrolyze diets, maybe you don't hydrolyze 100% of it. It's almost impossible to hydrolyze 100%. So let's say you hydrolyze 98%. Is that 2% enough to trigger that dog? Maybe. You know, and we all have different tolerances. So this gave rise to what's known as the amino acid-based elemental diet that Purina launched back in late October of 2021. And it's an amino acid-based diet. Purina is part of the Nestle family. It's a global R&D, and they've been using amino acid products very successfully in pediatrics for a number of years. This technology was applied to pet food with elemental. The idea here is that yeah, you have an intact protein that causes a mast cell to degranulate. Hydrolyzed proteins should be fairly foolproof, but amino acids, they don't even bind to that IgE. And in terms of the Dalton size, we talked about the 10,000 to 70,000. Hydrolyzed tend to be 2,000 to 12,000. Amino acids are around 134. So, I mean, it's like nothing. Again, they don't even bind to the IgE receptors, so they're not going to cause a degranulation. Honestly, I think if you're allergic to an amino acid, I don't think you're compatible with life. So <laughs> moving on here, this elemental type of concept takes care of the idea of, hey, you know what? I didn't take a complete dietary history. I don't know if the dog's allergic to pork or venison or whatever I'm choosing. You don't have to worry about that. If they're sensitized to multiple allergens of pork, beef, dairy, whatever, this still takes care of that. And as I mentioned, sometimes hydrolyzed diets may not be 100% hydrolyzed, so it takes care of that issue too. So going to the rubric, if I plug it in there, it does cover this non-antigenic. It does check that box. We did do a study with this. It is actually through review now. It's going to be published in Journal of Vet Internal Medicine. 23 dogs. Allison Manchester is an internist, specifically gastroenterologist interested in immune at Colorado State University performed this study. It was a pretty awesome study. Dogs with chronic enteropathy, she had done endoscopy, scoped them, showed that they had chronic enteropathy to definitively diagnose them. And then we followed them through for eight weeks time. She did show that 16 out of the 22 or 73% experienced complete relief. There was one dog that did refuse the diet. They always have one dog out there that's waiting to say, I don't like the taste of this diet. And then there were a few that did have some inadequate relief. And they're not food-responsive dogs. They needed pharma at that point. And it was palatable to 95% of the dogs. So 
great study that's going to be published, features of this amino acid-based diet. It has a very low allergen carbohydrate source. It actually has cornstarch and tapioca starch, so it meets that less than half a percent intact protein criteria. Lower in the fat, because that's the lower fat is really important to the GI dogs specifically. The type of fat, medium-chain triglycerides, is a passive absorption of fat, and it's complete and balanced for both growth and adult. Again, food allergy dogs as early as four months, and that's why we formulated it to growth. You can see the digestibility here. It makes complete sense that it would be that digestible, but wow. I mean, when we got those numbers, are really significant. The post-manufacturing testing occurs to make sure that it's not cross-contaminated with any proteins as well. And that's all I got. So I hope that's been informative. I hope you find some practical tips in there. And again, really stressing back and forth from the owner to the veterinarian and vet to owner about really being strict about an elimination diet and what the dog is consuming for that 8 to 12-week period is really, I can't stress that enough. So thank you for your time. Well, thank you so much for such a fantastic and really informative presentation. I learned so much. I am sure our viewers did as well. In the last 10 minutes, we do have a few questions for you, if that's okay. I am going to start with some of our previously submitted ones. So our first question is, if dogs seem to have more itchy reactions to formulations with chicken, is salmon a better alternative? Yes and no. So chicken is the most prevalent, probably because there's more foods out there that contain chicken than salmon. If you're finding a salmon pet food out there that is over the counter, do bear in mind, I would consider those, again, more limited ingredient than novel protein. The salmon may be novel to your dog, but the salmon also may have been made on the same line where they just made chicken. And therefore, there's still some chicken diluted into the salmon diet, if that makes sense. If you truly want to feed a therapeutic diet for this, and that's really the way to go, if you can't do the homemade diet that's complete and balanced by a nutritionist, the way to go is that prescription diet. And those are only available through vets or prescriptions that you can get on Chewy or wherever. But it's got to be a prescription diet at that point. We have another chicken question. Chicken is a very popular topic in our previous sure questions. Yeah. <laughs> this person is wondering if the antibiotics that are administered to some animals that end up in dog food, such as chicken, is that going to have a trickle down effect on the dog that is eating that food? So if the chicken is given an antibiotic. Exactly. Okay. That biomagnification has not been shown in pet foods to affect dogs. Okay. Perfect. And last chicken question. I believe you answered this, but this person might have not heard. Are chicken or beef allergies more common for dogs? I think we're splitting hairs there, and I think they're both equal. Years ago, it was beef and chicken. As of that 2016, which again is the most up-to-date review paper from the Derm folks, chicken is ahead of beef. But you're splitting hairs there. And when I do my nutrition consults, I have people that say, hey, you know what? My dog's doing great on ground beef right now. I really want to stick with this. Honestly, I've done it enough times where I say, yeah, sure, let's do that. I don't think it's going to work out. They push back and they say, okay, you're going to come back to me in a couple months. And they do. So I would just avoid chicken and beef both when we're talking about an elimination diet trial. And that's why you're going to see when you like the hydrolyzed protein diets, two out of the three of them are working off of hydrolyzed soy, just because soy is so uncommon to be allergic to. And then if you hydrolyze it and break it down into smaller pieces, 
it's even less common to be allergic to. So it's like we want to try to create as full proof as possible. But unfortunately, even that's not foolproof. And that's why that amino acid diet exists now. Awesome. Thank you for answering that one. So many people in our audience are obviously dog breeders that are listening to this. And I'm mm-hmm. sure many of them are wondering, are there certain breeds that are more likely to suffer from food allergies than others? <laughs> yes, that has been reported. However, I would say that that is a mixed bag. I would say that it's really any breed and it's even mixed breeds that it could happen to. I don't like to pigeonhole and say it's specific breeds because the minute I do that, then someone's showing me a mixed breed dog that has food allergy. And I say, yeah, yeah. So I don't mean to be evasive on that. No, um, not at all. But it's something we should just be cognizant that it can happen to any dog. Good to know. Another question I think that might apply to a lot of our dog breeders here is you mentioned that food allergies can occur to a dog at any age. But is there an age where food allergies are most likely to occur? So can a breeder even see that as they're introducing food to their puppies for the first time? It's typically the young. So it's typically, when I say four months old to 17 years old, it's typically in the puppy up to, some literature says up to six years. I'd say you typically see it up to two. If you start splitting the percentages out of where you see them, two years and younger is the biggest portion. Got it. And few questions that have come in about hydrolyzed diets. I think that's Mm -hmm. a very fascinating concept in and of itself. One of them is, can a dog stay on a hydrolyzed diet long term? Oh, yeah. If the formula is formulated to maintenance, which all of them are in that case in the hydrolyzed realm, yes. That is something, if the dog is doing well on it and you've diagnosed through an elimination diet trial and say, okay, my dog's doing great, stay on it for life. And similar question, still on the topic of hydrolyzed diets. I know when dog owners or anyone that's going through an elimination trial diet with their dog, they still want to be able to offer them treats. Are there any hydrolyzed treats that can be offered during a diet trial? Typically, yes. I will say, as we know, me personally, working for a pet food manufacturer, Purina's does not exist right now. It was discontinued in February for a variety of reasons, but it is coming back in January of next year. Hills does have one as well. And I do believe that that one is available at this time. Awesome. We got to make sure the dogs have their treats, even if they're on their elimination diet. I'm still saying that the treat becomes the diet. (laughs) I just am that conservative with it. You know, people are like, can I give a probiotic during the elimination diet? No. 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 I'm like, why not? I'm like, it's just a variable. Just get rid of it for now. You know, fish oil is one thing. You know, fats have never been reported to be a cause. And it doesn't chemically make sense that a fat would be the cause of an allergy. So usually when it comes to fish oil, I'm like, okay, you could stay on this. But very few and far between do I say you can stay on that. So similarly, actually, with that in mind, are there any medications that can be given to offer some relief when starting an elimination diet trial, or is that going to impact the trial as well? Well, I mean, we have to face reality. The dog is having clinical signs. So we have to be very practical about this. And particularly when it comes to the skin, you're going to be possibly talking about antibiotics and antifungals. So, you know, I leave that generally to the general practitioner or the dermatologist, if you're seeing that specialist, to decide that. But yeah, I mean, that too may have to be given in conjunction with the elimination diet trial. And depending on the length that it's given, it may actually extend the elimination diet trial. And that's where we say eight to 12 weeks. So typically, it's a four-week period that the vet is giving a cephalosporin, like cephalexin, convenia, something like that, for the antibiotic for the skin. And then we say, okay, you know what? 
you're given that now, that's going to be a four-week trial. That's why I'm pushing you from eight to 12 weeks to have a full eight weeks of diet. The GI signs, depending on the severity of what that is, that could be protein-losing enteropathy, that could be lymph injectasia, these you know, more severe GI conditions. Yeah, you better be given some sort of immune-modulating or immune-suppressing medication there. And as I do my consults, I think 90% of that type of consult, those internists are giving those medications. And I consult with the owners and say, we're going to see as we go along during this next 8 to 12 weeks whether you can wean down on that. And inevitably, they come back to me and say, can I wean down on it? My dog's doing better. And I say, that's not me. That's your internist. <laughs> like, go back to them. <laughs> and they're going back and forth between us to get recheck of blood work to show the improvements. But that's really more the internist's role or whoever prescribed the drug. Amazing. Okay. Thank you very much for answering that one. I believe we have time for two more. This question came up again because of our breeder audience. With newborn babies, we are told to start feeding new foods slowly to watch for allergies. What are your thoughts on allergic reactions in young puppies? And what should we feed mothers so allergens are not passed to puppies? Not sure we really know that answer of what to feed mom. But me, when it comes to reproduction, you know, nutrition is related to gestation, lactation. You better be feeding an energy-dense food to begin with. That lactation period is the most energy-demanding phase of a dog's life. So it's got to be something that's energy-dense. It can definitely be something over-the-counter. I mean, most dogs, in a Purina line, we're feeding Purina ProPlan 3020 generally. And it works great. Every pet food, though, has their own food for that. When we're talking about the pup, though, what we like to say there is just make sure that they're getting mother's milk, you know, the colostrum, et cetera, because they are not immune competent when they're born like you and me. So different species, different immune competencies, just make sure that they're getting the mother's milk and they're, they're growing appropriately. There's no rhyme or reason to that. What I would say, and I would insert there if you'll allow me, is to make sure that we're not giving antibiotics unnecessarily. Mm -hmm. We need to be better at antimicrobial stewardship and really asking ourselves, do we need that medication? That's been shown to really, really wipe out the GI microbiome, as it's known, those bugs that provide us benefits that are in our colon. And there's some good work going on in that realm. We have a partnership with Texas A&M University, the GI microbiome lab there, and we're actually looking at that with them at this point in more of a long-term status. Very cool. It's very cool to kind of hear how all of these things are kind of a work in progress and always advancing. Science continues. Yeah, yeah. love it. <laughs> okay, so I have one more question for you. This is actually my question, but I think it kind of ties uh -oh. this whole presentation <laughs> together. I know I'm stealing the spotlight for a second. Uh, <laughs> can you think of food allergies as ever being cured or is it something that can just be managed for the lifetime of your dog? That's tough because of the fact that we know we don't know everything. So the answer is both there. You can manage them for life. That has been shown. And you can actually manage them through nutrition alone in many cases for life. Some dogs, you're going to manage them through nutrition and drugs. That's just a reality. You decrease the amount of meds that you're on, decrease the side effects, that's the goal, and it's both and you're managed for life. However, there is this subset of dogs, particularly the GI manifestation ones, that you give them their elimination diet. And I noticed this. This is actually some follow-up from that elemental study that Allison Manchester performed at Colorado State. 
were still following these dogs, just keeping contact with the owners. They went on that diet. They improved. They came off the diet and transitioned back to a wellness diet. They're still fine. Mm-hmm. It was like hitting a reset button for them. I probably shouldn't even share that story. I have no idea why. Like it just shows that there's something odd, or dare I say, on a live stream here, funky, about their immune system. Mm-hmm. So it just shows that we don't know everything. And like, for example, why does it take up to two weeks for some dogs to flare? Why don't they flare right away? And that speaks to your memory cells, your memory of your immune system. But does it really take them 14 days to flare? Why does it take that long? It's weird. So I can say that successfully, yes, food can manage them for life. Can I say that you can switch back? I'd like to say no to be black and white about it. I mm-hmm. think the safest thing to do is stay on a therapeutic diet. But there are dogs out there that have gone back to a wellness or over-the-counter diet that have done well. It's weird. Sorry, I don't have an exact answer. <laughs> no, I think that kind of is like the perfect note to end things on, that there is yeah. still so much out there to learn and yeah, for science. To investigate, yeah. Yeah, to develop. Up a question in a few years. Exactly. We're going to have to have a follow-up webinar all about yeah, that yeah, question yeah. and just see how science has kind of taken yeah. twists and turns since then. So I think that's actually a perfect note to end things on. Thank you so much for hosting this presentation for us and for being here. I have learned so much. I am sure all of our viewers have learned so much about this topic. And clearly, there is still a lot that we have to cover and can cover in the future. So can't thank you enough for taking the time to do this for our community. Well, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. It's always a pleasure to connect with everyone. So thank you. Of course. And thank you to everyone who is here who has listened to this presentation and asked such wonderful questions. And again, if you're not yet a member of our community, we would absolutely love to have you join us at gooddog.com slash join so you can stay up to date in all of our future webinars and events. And because everyone is here and with such a great audience, I will give you a sneak preview that we're doing another webinar with Purina later in July, all about epilepsy. So if that interests you, please keep an eye out for an invitation for that when we announce the exact date. But we have many more canine health education webinars and opportunities to come just like this one. So if you enjoyed this, we hope to see you there. Thank you all so much and have a wonderful rest of the day. Bye, everyone. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to The Good Dog Pod. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode, so be sure to subscribe to The Good Dog Pod on your favorite podcast platform.